One. One week ago today, going into the quad witch expiration, we made a new high for the week at four, basically 45.70. Well, we know what happened since that. Couple hundred handles sell off. But maybe we'll make a low. The low for the week on this Friday, 43.66 holds and maybe wake our make our way back into the 4,400 handle. Just had a little pop here in the market. The bulls are perky. We have some uh, China news to discuss and good day to have me Schneider on because going to get back to some level-headed thinking. It's Friday. We're ending this week. It's pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Trading up 13 handles just off the highs of the session at 43.85. The buck clearing that monthly resistance. We could be in trouble here. Up 23 cents at 105.28. Wow. Bonds have a 116 handle on them. 12 year lows in the bond market down to a quarter of a point. Crude back over 90, up a buck of five, 90.68. Gold up modestly, uh, nearly six bucks. Silver. That's up over a percentage here, 27 cents at 23.96. And Bitcoin just seems to be sitting out this trading action as of late. So that's uh, that's flat here, uh, 26,685. Uh, sorry for the late start today, guys, because there was a five-handle move in the S&Ps and to the upside. And you know how that changes the entire world. Let's bring in Triple D. I know you were digging, you were digging, you were digging. Did someone say something positive? Something? I don't know. We we just popped about five handles right at eight o'clock. So, and sometimes, like you said, there's these moves outside, moves at eight o'clock, the old prints. But this was S and P. This was the spy moving. We are getting breaking news. Oh, that's UAL. So the UAL, which has just went down. I was just looking at CNBC. That's breaking news. But that broke like 20 minutes ago. We know how CNBC breaks news. So, um, I thought they might have had something. But anyways. It's a China rally today. So it what is. is the catalyst here today? 100% China. We are moving. Big bounce in China stocks. They were sitting down a lot of them near near the lows of the move. And we get a nice pop here today in China. Let's bring on Money Mitch here because he's got some news in Alibaba. And he's got some Money Mitch thoughts here on this China rally. Yeah, it looks like Alibaba, of course, shares are trading higher amongst the reports that the company's Sanao Network Technology Logistics Unit is preparing for its Hong Kong Stock Exchange debut, amassing a minimum of $1 billion via share sale. Um, and so that's already giving them a lift. But as you guys can see, it's not only Alibaba today mm -hmm. getting a lift. It's a bunch of China names, and we're going to keep an eye out on this. Of course, we've been continuing to look to see if there's going to be any more kind of fiscal policy help, monetary help for China. It still has yet to really be some actual numbers that come out. They've given some support that's been mainly talk. That's what we're all kind of keeping an eye out for. And of course, if there's any more political unrest. So big pop here, Alibaba down near the lows again. It seems like it gets into the low 80s and it's a buy. And I was thinking about China yesterday and I actually yeah. did look at Alibaba and I was looking at those couple of lows, 82.64. I was like, ah, maybe down 82. Maybe you do a little bit of buy the dipping. But here it is, pops up three bucks overnight. It's not buy the rip, folks. So you know what I'm thinking about this overall market and this China rally, but um, definitely nice to see some relief rally, we'll call it here this morning. Uh, yeah, and uh, that that's a great way to put it. Dennis, you already gave the action. I'm just going to tell you, you popped over 88 bucks, 88.15, and then 
you go to your chart, your upper right chart, uh, you know, two, three highs right in that pesky area, 88 bucks. So see if you can get uh, back up to that area. Might have already seen the high for the session way it's traded over there, but uh, got established a strong bid over 88. And do you want just sell the rip? I just have to bring this up now, Mitch. Did mm -hmm. you see the Netflix move off the open yesterday? Let's, Dennis? Let's Let's talk a little bit about yeah. that. I mean, we were thinking for a second there that the writer strike was going to be over, but as updates from last night, 8.55 and 9.59 p.m., not the over. writer strike is not over. And at 9.59, a note to the members went out that the WGA says that it will be meeting on Friday with the AMPTP and CEOs from Netflix, Universal, Warner Bros., Discovery, and Disney for more talks What's going to happen here with the wider strike? What are you guys thinking? Um, I don't think it matters, to be honest with you. Um, it's going to get the little relief pop. And they really thought yesterday morning that it was getting settled. So you saw Netflix popping up $7, $8. Disney was trading higher. And then they started to leak as the deal wasn't done. And now they're saying by the end of the year. So there isn't an imminent deal here. Maybe they get her done. You know, maybe they get her done. But they're saying, like, it could be a couple more weeks at least here. So I, I think if you get a relief pop, it's going to be short-lived. I don't think it's like these, this writer's strike is just weighing on these stocks and Disney's down 10% because of the writer's strike. It's not. It's down 1% because of the writer's strike. So it gets a 1% pop or 2% pop probably when they actually sign the deal. And then that's probably just another selling opportunity because the stock is just has so many other problems. Interesting area. I noticed that it just did fill the gap. I think it did it in yesterday's session, but that was after popping 10 bucks off the open. The reason I just wanted to go that is just like, that, you know, we talk about overhead supply and things like that. And, and there was a, a really good example. This is not bad. Let's see this 360 to 380 area. That's the danger zone in this one. That might have been, I don't know what made that move. Maybe it was an, uh, an earnings day or something. Uh, but if this can establish bid, I know people have been asking me about, you know, is it okay to, you know, step back in Netflix? Let's see if we can, you know, sustain a bid here at this uh, this 380 area for, you know, a couple days. Trade it up a buck 65. Microsoft restructuring 69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard, opening the door to the biggest ever gaming deal to be cleared here. Britain's antitrust regulator said on Friday that the competition and market authority said that Ubisoft's divestment substantially addresses previous concerns here. So that's looking like it's going to be able to move it, forward. It's going to go through. Also, yeah. yesterday, we got a spike in Microsoft as they unveiled new Surface computers and details about Windows 11 at an event in New York on Thursday. The company also said it would roll out supplemental artificial intelligence tools for core apps such as Word and Excel. I just want to do a little bit of a poll action here from the chat. Who is still using Microsoft Word and Excel and not using just Google Sheets? Like Google Docs. I, I use Excel sometimes, but I'm still using 2003 because I don't want to pay for the new one. <laughs> I'm so cheap that, you know, they want me to subscribe and they put it on my new computers and I got to get rid of it. And I had the old 2003 program, so I just installed that. I mean, it works just really well. And you know what? I've been using 2003 Excel for so long that and all my trading software was built on it, Joel. And it's like. None of it, like none of it even speaks to the 2023 version because it's 20 years ago here now. I mean, they don't support it anymore. But, you know, I had all my algorithms built off of it, 2003 Excel. I sent orders you? using Excel, the 2003. None of that works. I'd have to rewrite all my code. And I'm not the best code writer. I manipulate code, but I'm not the best writer. So I'd probably have to go hire somebody on. So I'm still around 2003 because I got all my algorithms running on it. Uh, well, precipitating this discussion is uh, I made another big purchase. I got I got a new laptop because this one is just. Uh, I hope it's not an can't... HP. No, I Dell baby. Dell baby. Telling, I tell telling you about Dell. That's all I have. Is I Dell. Know. That means you went Intel, right? Yeah, whatever. Chips inside, whatever. Um, and they're like. And I was prepared when I was talking to them. I don't go on online trying to do it. I like I call someone and I talk to the person on the phone, and they're like, "Oh, do you want uh, Microsoft Word?" I'm like, "No, 
I, I don't. I mean, no. in Excel, I've never been able to figure that thing out, man. <laughs> I mean, you got to be like a coding genius to use Excel. Uh, but I'm just like, is that going to be of a material impact uh, for Microsoft going on down the road? I mean, they're still going to sell it. Mitch said, uh, 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 said they're still going to sell it to schools and stuff. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I Google and the Google Docs and the Google Sheets and. Google yeah. this and Google that. I I don't know. I, I mean, the the word the, the Microsoft and to the points of the chat is Microsoft is still widely used in business. And you know, and I don't use the Google stuff. I use the Microsoft stuff too. Again, like I said, I'm using 2003 because of all my stuff that was built on 2003, and it doesn't speak to it anymore because I never updated. But let's just go back and talk about the stock. That had to be one of the most ridiculous moves for Microsoft when it announced that little bit of AI stuff. It was 315 the stock at the bottom. And then it rallies. Joel, do you see it? It rallied to 325. It rallied 10 points. eh? It rallied 10 points in 30 minutes. 10 bucks. What a gift. You're in a bear market, folks. Your stock rallies $10 and it's Microsoft? Rallying 10 points on some AI crap in Surface? You sell it. Sell, sell. That's what you it do did in that do, case. It, Really? It popped. So what, what you see it? You... Look, at, look at your top left chart. You can see the move, Joel. Yeah, it did. Oh, it yeah. It was yeah, a big yeah. pop. 10 was bucks, a big pop. 30 minutes for Microsoft. This isn't some penny stock. It's Microsoft. That was a 3% move intraday. That okay. was a gift, man. That was a gift. Wow. Well, that was a gift. Sell, Baltimore. Sell. That was uh that uh well market conditions didn't really help that either. That's another thing with it being the second biggest component in the S and P five hundred. So the indexers were like, oh, that this is good. I'll I'll sell yeah, I'll sell Microsoft. What I was referring to, I mean, you talk about the ridiculous AI move. How about like the when did they announce their their whatever they were doing and Google had that what Bard or whatever had the bad thing? That took it up. Oh, that this was this rally here in July, was it? Back in July when it went to its yeah, old. Yeah, well, that was high. when we were in the AI bubble, though. So that yeah, was that's different. when you used to believe AI. I was in the comments. whole like hype, like the AI bubble <laughs> popped and burst. So stocks can't be popping ten bucks on AI stuff now. They're gonna get sold, and the stock was yeah. sold. It's not all the way back down to where it was, and we've bounced. The S and P's have bounced a little bit here this morning, but I think the path of least resistance for Microsoft is much lower. I think we're in this calm before the storm here. I think you're going to get some warnings this earnings season. I mean, look at what has happened here. You know, you can see certain stocks. We've talked about this looking under the hood. The IWM is a disaster. It's basically a disaster here in the last few weeks. Uh, But if you look, you know, we obviously talked to airlines and cruise lines getting hit. And, you know, we've talked retail getting hit. But, you know, there's a lot of other stocks have just been smacked around too. And then just quietly new core. You know, they warn. Remember? Like we're yeah. getting warnings across different industries, and it's such a diversified list of 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 stocks making new 52-week lows. I've just got to go, and and somebody made a. It was um. I'm just going to my Twitter feed because I retweeted it. Evan from Stock Market News retweeted this list. Listen to these stocks making new 52-week lows. Joel, Pfizer, that sucks for me because I own that. Target, Square, <laughs> RTX. Yeah. Roblox. These aren't like these are new 52-week lows, like taking out the October lows we're talking about. That yeah. the, the lows were never going to get touched ever again. All these stocks are taking them out. Realty income. Oh, so widely owned. LUV, Lucid, JD.com, Illumina, Dollar Tree, Dollar General. What would you say in that list? What would you say? Am I diversified? Yes, you are. That's a diversified <laughs> list. It's not one sector. You got mm-hmm. airlines, you got retail, you got healthcare, you got technology, you've got all kinds of stuff in there. You get defense with RTX. Now it has its own problems. But yeah, 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 does that agree. happen like when you're in raging bull markets? Hell no. This is yeah. a full-on bear market you're in, folks. Don't believe what they're saying. Oh, yeah, we're in a little pullback. No, no. Bears are in full control here. Bears are in full just, control. Is this just the biggest bear market rally? All contributed by AI? Well, and there's a good question there, Mitch. And it's a good point. Like, if you bring up the S&P, somebody was making that point. I don't believe that because I think the Fed has all those tools in the toolbox. So, again, I don't think we're going back down to the October lows here. I think I'll be a buyer before that. But we need a correction, man. This S&P hasn't even really blipped. Like, look at the chart, Joel, on the top right. 
I mean, look at the chart on the bottom right. It doesn't even show up, this correction. It's early. And it's trading, you know, S&P's 20 times early. Yeah, Again, good old t- these are all time highs. Down. But what you could argue, to Mitch's point, great point. We didn't make a new high. That's know, concerning. We didn't I make know. a new high. That's concerning, folks. We've come all the way back. We talked about this awesome rally in the first half. But it failed to make a new high. QQQ, bring it up. Same thing. It came close. Like, we came close on the Qs, but we did not make a new high. So there is an argument to be made that this entire first half was simply a bear market rally and an overall new downtrend. There is that argument to be made. I'm not saying it's correct. I'm saying the argument is potentially there. So money, Mitch, it's a good point. Uh, One other thing, I I just want to illustrate here too, because, you know, we all get caught up in that, you know, I got the 15 minute, I got the 60 minute, but, you know, the real, to get to really perspective on the market, you got to look longer term and you look at that monthly chart. And if you've been in the market for, you know, as long as Dennis and I have, I mean, I know it's not all time highs, but geez, man, that that's pretty darn, you know, pretty darn close. Pretty darn close. And then you got, and this is concerning, you got, we'll pay attention, of course, we're coming to the end of the quarter, uh, end of the month, but yeah, two lower highs on the monthly candles, right? And then two lower lows on the monthly candle. And, you know, that, if that trend, you know, start, you can draw a nice trend line off that, and that would be pretty steep. So the monthlies aren't working in our favor, uh, you know, really super short term. You know, we we didn't come in down another 20, 30 handles, and we're getting a little bit of a bounce today. So uh, it's good to always looking at different times. I think just perspective here that, oh, it feels like it's a huge pullback, and it's such a good buying opportunity. That shirt on the right right now doesn't look like a huge pullback to me. It doesn't look like any pullback to me. It looks like we're at the highs. Look at the IWM now. Okay, IWM. Let's take a look at the IWM and see how that's It's a little uglier. It's, it's a little, a little uglier. uglier, right? And this shows us yeah. that maybe it just was a momentum little push. And now we're right back down. And th- this doesn't th- seem like it, it could come back to 170. Yeah, this is way more concerning. And there isn't the AI bubble built, built into this. So you can see how much, when you look at the SPY and the QQQ, the AI helped it. Not a lot of AI in those 2,000 companies. So, I mean, this did not get the love of the AI bubble. To Money Mitch's point, which was such a fantastic point again, this AI bubble in the first half of 2023 was the driver. You can clearly see IWM yeah. not participating in the AI bubble. Ugly head and shoulders on the top, right? I own IWM, my long-term portfolio, you know? Like, you're diversified with it. You hope in the long run, 20 years from now, it's going to be higher. I've never sold any of it out of there. I've bought it on dips, and, you know, it's just a way to play the overall market. And it's only, like, 15, 16 times. It's, it might even be less than that. It might be getting to 14 times. So, it's not bad. Again, though, lots of issues in here. Banks are in here. You know, if you get credit problems, you know, you have consumer falling off. This is in trouble. I don't love, you know, talking against my book here, I don't love this chart whatsoever. It looks heavy to me. It looks like it didn't participate. It looks like we could go back to the October lows on the IWM, and that would be really ugly for the overall market. Yeah, quick technical thought on the IWM. It's it's really a... Uh... More of a wonky chart, but when one thing when I when I like to look at longer term charts, isn't it much easier to identify resistance in this than it is support? I mean, if you were holding out for two hundred, you know, well, you didn't get it, but I mean, that looks like a good number. You have four monthly highs in that vicinity since uh, late two thousand twenty two or September two thousand twenty two, but on the downside. I mean, well, oh, well, we're heading for the next monthly low, and then there, I guess there's two monthly lows in the, in the same area, but uh, resistance much better defined than support. Let's go to something positive. Let's get to the iPhone that will be released today, and I wanted to know your outlet if you guys think this could give it the lift. A lot of people are saying there's lines at Apple stores right now. People are looking at it. Availability starting today on the iPhone. Who's getting their iPhone in the chat? Let me know. Again, you know, you're trying to bring it to something positive, but you know what I think of Apple. I know. I know this one's going to go. This 180, man, the Rock of Gibraltar. I know. You got There is no reason to own Apple until it takes (laughs) out 180. There is absolutely no reason to own this stock until it takes out 180 because that 180 
has a huge seller. Maybe it's even Warren. It's somebody big selling at 180. <laughs> Joel. Look was, at that level. It's I a know. fish, a whale, a whale of a tail. And that's that 180. So, I mean, you got room to 180. Sure, there's room to 180. But you want to go for that far four bucks? Do you want to go for it? Because there isn't much room above 180. Not not right now. Not until the whale is gone. And if the whale decides that he can't get out of anymore and decides down. to start stepping yep. down, that's where you get problems. The ugliest head and shoulders. It's clear. That right top right chart. Look at the head and shoulders. It doesn't get prettier than that. It might be almost too pretty. You know, I've talked about that before, where it's so bearish looking that it's actually bullish, and everybody just looks at it, head and shoulders, and it's got to be going down. That's the only thing going for it. The contrarian me says the pattern's almost too pretty, but holy mackerel. If I was a pattern trader, I would not be long. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I mean, uh, you stuck me with that, that bat 180 versus 200, which uh, hopefully doesn't uh, materialize here. But what I noticed yesterday, we talked about this on the closing print, is Apple has held up very well the last couple days, right? You had the panic low in August when you, uh, I don't know if that, I think that was the post earning sell off at 171.96, right? So that was your, your August low. Look at all these lows in the same area. There was someone sneaky here at the 173.50, 173.80 area. So I'm going to put a lot more importance on that than I am that actual low of the move because you got four, four, uh, five lows stacked at that area. And then De Dennis gave you the super extra major resistance. So uh, nice technical setup. And I looked at that last night and I'm like, man, that's showing some strength. But we just had the second week close. I was looking at the overnight levels and I thought, well, maybe Apple could save the day. I didn't know that, uh, you know, obviously that the news was coming out on it. But there you go. Apple traded up a buck forty nine. Let's get to yet. Wow, if this got to yesterday's high, I'd be really impressed. One seventy? No, not really impressed. One seventy six thirty. If you're looking for another target on the upside, there's hype today. This is a fantastic day. If it gets up to like one seventy seven, one seventy eight to unload it, in my opinion. You know, we know we saw what happened on the event day. You know, it came off. We saw what happened when Jim Cramer tweeted, "You're never going to get a chance to buy Apple again." It sold off almost immediately here. I think you're getting hyped up. It's the classic trade that we talk about on this show. The run-up ahead of the event will run up ahead of the official release. We're seeing a little run today in the official release. So people are excited. Oh, yes, this is going to drive Apple price higher. Oh, yes. Fade that excitement, folks. I think you get up to 177, maybe 178, and you're selling it. And you know what? Maybe even selling it short. Do we get expanded strikes today from the UAW, a noon Friday deadline for expanded strikes for the United Auto Workers Union against the Detroit automakers is coming to a tick, tick close here. 12 p.m. is that deadline. Do you guys think this is going to be a prolonged strike? Yes, I think it's going to be a long strike. I think. That and it was a Philibo fantastic on CNBC. He gives so much good information there. You know, there's a lot of people on CNBC that were like, me. Philibo gives a lot of really good information. Nobody covers the automotive sector better than Philibo. And he was saying, if they all go on strike, because there's rumors that it's going to be prolonged and then everybody's going to go on strike, they would deplete the UAW, would deplete their cash reserve fund in five to six weeks. So, I mean, that's how you break, that's how you break them. Um, that's how you get a deal done in your favor. I think if you're GM and Ford, you're looking at this economy saying, well, you know what? Demand's starting to fall off a little bit. Um, we got some supply out there right now. Let's, you know, play a hardball a little bit here yet. We can play hardball a bit. So, I mean, that's what it is. You know, you got the company's going to play hardball. And obviously, you know, you've got the, the employees are going to play hardball here. I think. It works in GM's favor here in Ford. And I think they need to play hardball because you can't get these employees up over a hundred bucks an hour. It's gonna kill their profitability forever. So you need to have a decent, you know, wage. And I get it. You know, they haven't had a wage, you know, four percent over the last four years or something like that. They need a raise. Do they need 44% raise or do they get for the 20% raise? 20% over four years sounds very reasonable. 44% sounds too much. It sounds like you're going to have to pass this on to consumers. Prices of cars are already too high. To, you know, Cox Automotive saying half the automotive industry, half the, half the you know, people in the U.S. cannot afford to buy a new car. They're right priced out of the market. Well, this is not going to do anything to help that. So I think you look at GM and Ford, and if you're an executive, you're saying, 
we can't like have our costs go up this much because demand is not sustainable at these levels. And, you know, we're trying to go into EV and we're burning cash doing that. We're trying to make these transitions. Just because we made a hell of a lot of profit last year doesn't mean it's going to be that easy going forward. So I think as, you know, an investor here, I think, you know, GM and Ford have concerns, but I think as, as a corporate manager, if I was in there, executive at GM and Ford, mm-hmm. I'm playing hardball. I think there's a couple other factors too, and don't don't. I'm not 100% sure of this, but I don't know if they get insurance benefits uh, while they're on strike, and that's a big thing for some people. Also, you're coming as far as timing. You're coming into the holidays, right? You're coming into the end of the year. Same thing with the writers' strike. I mean, you know, you, well, you know, not many Christmas presents on the table because uh, I'm not working right now. So mm. I think there's a lot of pressure here. Uh, from that perspective, we'll see, you know, how, how long it goes, but it it's not, uh, the stocks are just kind of, GM has gotten a couple pops here. It's so interesting because it's just sitting here on this monthly support. If you would have taken a poke here, uh, you know, eight, nine, 10 times uh, since uh, mid 22 on the monthlies, well, you got to rally, but we all know when you start hanging out at the lows of the move too long. Boom. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. And I sure hope I sure hope it gets settled soon. Emily does it because she's I think she's at the Jeep plant in Toledo today. So she's like doing two things. Getting a lots day. Of good pictures. Yeah. Covering for Bloomberg uh, it's been her primary source. But we'll see what happens. I, I'd love to see it settled, you know, being here in the Motor City. S&P, Dennis, well, did you well, ever find a catalyst? Before you change the subject here, I want us to go one more point here because it yeah. was a great uh, segment last Yeah, night. I got you. I was going to set it up for you. Uh, yeah. Joel was just doing his his update for okay. us. Sure, um, but yeah, I, I wanted to bring it for us towards Tesla and how this is really affecting Tesla. Dennis, you say you caught some interesting conversation yesterday. Yeah. Bring that conversation up and let us know what you think about that. So so Dan Ives and Gordon Johnson, obviously two guests we've had lots of times on pre-market prep. We won't know both of these people well. Um, we're going head to head and Dan Ives, obviously permable in Tesla and Gordon Johnson, perma bear in Tesla. So it's a great matchup. It's just going to be good. You know, even if you don't get anything from it, it's just good entertainment. It's a popcorn. And, and what I've said, I tweeted last night. I mean, if you don't know Gordon Johnson, he's been on our show lots of times, you know, for years, he's come on our show. There is nobody more convicted in their opinion. You think like I'm opinionated. He is like, he's dynamite and he's a fantastic speaker too. Like he speaks that he's been wrong. They got not about being right or wrong, but man, can he talk his opinion? And he's always fun to watch. But what Dan Ives was saying, he came on saying, this is so this is so good for Tesla. And, you know, like this, this strike, it's so good for Tesla because obviously, you know, you got GM and Ford, you know, now their costs are going up and Tesla's just sitting there laughing at him, uh, basically. And he was trying to make the argument, this is good for Tesla. And Gordon Johnson's looking at him. He's like, are you crazy? He's like, you think this is actually good for Tesla? What do you think if you're a Tesla employee sitting there on their line getting $44 an hour and you've got the GM and Ford, which is already at 66 with their benefits and everything, looking to go to 100? What are you thinking? Like what you, you think, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Let them go to 100. You're probably thinking I'm underpaid. And you're probably thinking, like, maybe we should talk amongst each other and see, you know, maybe we should get unionized. And obviously, Tesla's, you know, very against unions. And, you know, and but that would be a disaster for Tesla. So he's just making a good point that there's probably a lot of workers at Tesla looking at this potential, you know, payday for GM and Ford and, and Stellanta, I still say Chrysler employees, thinking, man, we need a raise. So... He made a great argument saying that this is not good news for Tesla and that those employees are going to want to raise as well. And it may be a significant one. And that would squeeze Tesla margins. So it was a good point. Dan Ives comes back, obviously, just saying, you know, that Tesla's, you know, best of breed EV and the numbers prove themselves, which he's been right. Dan Ives has been right and Gordon's been wrong. But great point to understand that, hey, you know, when you're looking here and saying this is good for Tesla, if I'm making 44 bucks an hour at Tesla and I'm a competitor is making $100 an hour and they're doing the same damn job, I'm probably thinking maybe we should go and talk about, you know, getting a raise ourselves and a significant one. One little follow on that. What You guys already have been mentioning this, but I think it's very important. I think it's like connecting the dots. What about like companies like Magna, right? And you're just mentioning it right there. Well, what about the factory workers there? 
are they going to be wanting to get paid more, right? I mean, there's a lot of actions that could be coming off of this. Snowballs. It, it could snowball for sure. If you look at MGA, it looks like it's about to drop. It could go through like that 50 area. Mm-hmm. Just bringing up a, a different area that I think that maybe not, you know, like I've been looking at the automakers wondering if they're going down or why they're not going down. Well, maybe this could be a different style of trade that we could catch. I think the auto parts suppliers, and I think we've been right on this, have been given a pass here and they shouldn't be. So BWA coming off with the overall market the last couple of days. MGA coming off now with the overall market the last couple of days. But I mean, there's, you know, Visteon, you can just keep going. There's just so many auto parts suppliers here that really haven't sold off that much. Lear is a huge one. And it's not down that much. And again, valuation, all these stocks, the one thing they have going for them all these stocks are not nosebleed valuation. They're all gutter trough valuations here. So that's one thing to consider is before you get too bearish on this whole industry is that the industry trades at a really low multiple already. So some of this yeah. stuff is indeed priced in. But if it's a prolonged strike, it's not good for the auto parts suppliers here either. And they've been given a pass where GM and Ford have really been hammered on these strikes. Lear hasn't come down at all. So, I mean, we're sitting right back up kind of where, you know, not too far from the recent highs. Like, I guess we're off, you know, we're off. The yeah, for bit Lear, here, we but, are. but a lot of that damage done in the last two days too, Joel. You know, damage done to mm-hmm. everything in the last couple of days. So a lot of market effects in there. But just makes you think, like, we get a rally, we get a pop on some of these stocks. Maybe it's not a bad idea to lighten up. All right, Joel, let's go ahead. Let's kick it off. Let's get to our guest. Misha Snyder is joining us this morning, Chief Strategist for Market Gauge. And uh, always great to talk to you, Mish. How are you doing on this uh, volatile week? Pretty good. There's, there's a level of patience you have to have. It's really hard when you start to see all the emotional reactions to the market. I mean, it happens when it's going up and then it happens when it's going down. So I try to step back, look at some multiple time frames, and that kind of helps my head a little bit. Yeah, I was just going to mention that because uh, we, you know, obviously uh, with the shorter term trading, we, you know, we look at the 15 minute and the 60 minute and I like to keep the daily and also to give you uh, the monthly perspective on things. But um, I just let's go a little bit macro here. Um okay. I mean, did Paul give us any new information on uh, on Wednesday? I mean, am I sleeping here? Uh, what's your perspective on uh, what happened on Wednesday? What was more surprising to me was up until Wednesday, how the market really believed that we were going to see rate cuts anytime soon. So I think what happened was that he just reiterated for the, I don't know, umpteenth time what his intention is, which is really to keep rates higher for longer until he's 100% convinced that things are somewhat normalized. And, and, and that's an interesting point because if everything ended right now, we would have CPI and Fed funds pretty close together, which is somewhat of a normalization. Do people like higher interest rates? No. But in terms of history, having 5 to 6% Fed fund rates is not abnormal. Zero is abnormal. So it, it, it you know, it, that, that's, that's, that's kind of what he was saying is like, all right, you know, I'm not looking at the soft landing. I'm looking at normalization and there's still threats. So at this point, we are not planning to do anything in terms of cuts. And that's what the market heard. And all of a sudden people went, oh my God, he's not cutting. <laughs> all right, God, having a family, you know that there's some people that behave and some people that don't behave, right? And what I love about interviewing you all these years, if you've had the modern family, you've had the sectors, these uh, areas that you've focused on, very broad, covering a lot of things. And uh, I would have to say the one misbehaving the most in the modern family is the IWM. So, uh, yeah, Graham. So. <laughs> Go ahead with that. <laughs> well, I, I, I wasn't watching, but I heard, and I think it was you, Mitch, before I did, I just don't want to forget to mention something about um, the, the whole idea of the wages and you were talking about Tesla. And we'll get back to Gramps in a moment. Yeah. But, but I thought it was such a good point what you were saying about Tesla, because really, in terms of the macro, 
I had been pretty convinced that our inflation was going to come out of energy as an X factor we talked about and food. And certainly all of that has played out. We have a big USDA report coming up next week. And I think that will give us a better clue in terms of our own crops here in the U.S. And of course, we still have very, very bad drought in uh, Argentina. But, but, but to me, the biggest focus for inflation right now is this whole idea of wage inflation. And that's why, I did, before I get into this, I just had to really recognize what you said. Because to me, the backdrop is with the UAW strike and even the writer's strike, which looked like it was going to end and it really hasn't. We have a mood now, not just globally, but in this country, that people want more. And that is, to me, a very inflationary scenario, whether wages increase or not. Because if they increase, obviously that's inflationary for you know, the reasons of the fact that companies now have to uh, produce less in order to pay these wages. And of course, that means supply demand gets skewed. And if they don't get the wages that they want, then I think we get a different type of undercurrent of almost like a revolution in a sense. We've seen shades of it, right, with quiet quitting and not refusing to go back to the office, et cetera. So it's just something to keep an eye on. I think that could be a real theme as we're going forward. So sorry for the diversion, but I, no, I really... I I think that's a great comment. I think that also leads back to kind of what Joel's been talking about, that maybe we never even get back to that 2% and we have a new normal of inflation. And a lot of that could be due to the wage inflation, right? And so let's go ahead. Let's take a look at the IWM. Let's take a look at Gramps and see how it's looking. I know right. I, I I was stunned to see it. It's almost right back to the 170 area. What are you seeing, Mish? Well, it's it's so interesting because you mentioned the monthly time frame. When I started out this year and I looked at the uh, Russell monthly chart, I thought to myself that it could even take out a two-year moving average and go up to around 200 if you're looking at IWM. And if it didn't get through that point, that would be the top of the market. And so far, that's turning out to be the case. So if we look at IWM from a more fundamental standpoint, of course, there's a lot of stress there. That's really the manufacturing side of the U.S. economy. These are small cap companies that produce within the United States. And it works hand in hand, right? That's why they're married with grandma retail, because as consumers have been feeling the pinch, obviously we're seeing the pinch in a lot of these big companies that are in the basket of the small caps. So at this point right now, we're back under that two-year cycle, but we're still okay until we get down below 160. And the way we'll know if we get below 160 is if XRT breaks 57. So the best we can say right now, and you said, bring me something good, right, Joel? The best thing we can say right now is volatility rallied right to resistance, that we still have the S&Ps and the, and the NASDAQ above that two-year business cycle, and that, that XRT and IWM are very close to major support and the risk factors that we like to watch are still risk on, risk neutral until you look at gold versus silver. Gold is starting to outperform. I mean, gold versus spy, excuse me. I have silver on the brain too. Gold versus spy because we gold is outperforming and that's always a warning. So getting back to IWM, it is possible. And I did you see this statistic by Ryan um, Dietrich, by the way? Oh, no, give us to it. Which one? Stat but Savian's always good. This uh, morning, look, I think I retweeted it, but yeah. Yeah, Let's so he said it. since 1981, every time we've had a negative August and September, nine times out of nine, the market has gone up in the fourth quarter, the average rise 9.1%. And I thought that was really interesting because September is always a bad month. I mean, it, I shouldn't say always, but very typically a bad month. So it is possible if we, you know, if, 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 but if they have somewhat of a normalization, if the, if the, if we're the, the whole rate cycle now is topping out, if the inflation goes up and it's more wage in, in, uh, in force, of course, we'll start to see things like the precious metals go crazy and they've held very well. But if, if we can kind of hang out here and people get adjusted to the way things are, it is possible. Uh, you know, via uh, Ryan Dietrich's comment that we might actually see some buyers coming back in. And that's the best thing. But I, if, if granny retail or XRT, as I say, granny breaks under 57 and the Russell's break down under 160 IWM, 
then we start looking more recessionary and then we can have a completely different conversation. But for now, I'm going to try to stay relatively optimistic because the risk is neutral to on. All right, let's talk about an area that I've been trying to point to. It's just kind of concern. The KRE, the banks, the regional banks really starting to show. I could see kind of like a head and shoulders that had already been showing. Now it keeps coming back to those old kind of resistance lines and trend lines from where it was uh, before the regional bank concern. Are we going back to this concern? No, I, I don't think that the concern ever went away. It just got put on a back burner. Yeah, the commercial real estate space obviously has been a big stress on the regional banks. That's part of it. And of course, after March, we had a nice bounce from there, but it wasn't extremely impressive, was it? I mean, we, we had a more of a technical bounce and like I said, more of a relief rally than anything else. I don't think anything has really changed within the banking system. And of course, we could have some major credit event. There are other people who are calling for that. But in my mind, this whole banking situation is evolving away from traditional banking. And that may not be the worst thing in the world, number one. And I'm going, you know, obviously really far out here. But number two is it seems to me that in the digital world where we're going, that really opens up the space for more in terms of Bitcoin. And so I still think the long term view for Bitcoin is very bullish. Okay, Misha, so let's talk about someone that's behaving a little bit better in the modern family. And I guess if we would have talked about this two weeks ago, it would have been this, you know, uh, some of the semiconductors, right, with NVIDIA uh, leading us back to a new, new all-time high. Are you looking at this as just like a peak cycle, kind of like your Cisco in the early 2000s? Or are you looking at, say, hey, we need those chips for the AI. This is, uh, you're raring up for buy the dip. I got the SMH up here, but uh, yeah, talk about the recent price action in the semiconductors. Well, you want to talk about emotional trading and things getting too rich and also the relationships getting very stretched between, let's say, something like the Russell versus the semiconductors or if you want to call it the value versus the growth. Those ratios can never last too much in terms, again, of the fundamental future. Yeah, of course, AI is the future and of course, chips are going to be required. But let's look at NVIDIA as a perfect example. It's run up after the earnings to over 500. That, that, to me, that was what that stock was worth. So I wasn't surprised to see selling coming in. Now we're closer to the 400 level and we'll see. I think you have to be very long-term positive in there. But from a shorter-term perspective, what could actually crack the, the, the whole market would be if that continues to fall. Right now, it's still well outperforming. And looking at that chart that you just put up there, uh, the one on the top uh, right, which is the NVIDIA chart, you know, we're still holding that major gap from May, June. Yeah. Got, yeah. And so, you know, we have room. There's room to the downside. It's a matter of picking the point. What's the point that's going to be the point to buy NVIDIA? Is it going to stop at 400? Could it go back down closer to that gap low at 360? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're in there right now. 400 would be a good place at least to start um, if you're a short-term trader. You know, we still own some NVIDIA from our quants. We took profits, obviously, but we still have a position because they use a wide-range trailing stop after we get traction, and we bought it down around 250. So, you know, it's really going to be a matter of uh, the next couple of weeks as we get through September, if indeed... Uh, going back to uh, Dietrich, we're right, and we start to see buying coming in. NVIDIA will certainly benefit from that, and the whole growth area will. Surely haven't been talking about uh, the biotechs at all. I mean, of course, you know, higher yeah. interest rates, they need money to, uh, uh, you know, to fund the trials and everything. What a horrible two days here for this. <laughs> and this is, is it, it's been bad news here. We just don't talk about it. And I mean, it's like, I can't remember the last time we talked about like Biogen or uh, actually Amgen's held up a little bit better. Uh, you combing the ditches here. Oh, look at that Amgen. Amgen's strong. Yeah. Right. Combing the ditches here in the IBB. 
Well, another member of my modern family, right? So the whole biotech space has just been in this giant consolidation and it broke down below the 124 level yesterday. So that was a little concerning, but right. It's almost like you have almost like the magnificent seven in the overall stock market. You have the few drug companies that have done very well, Amgen, Vertex being another. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cyclical and a non-cyclical area, the whole biotech space. So like you said, it's going to feel stress from higher interest rates. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's something obviously that people need. And now with the new COVID thing, uh, whereas that gave a real big boost to the market uh, in previous COVID scares uh, after the, obviously the initial one. Now people are kind of like, eh, I'm not even going to bother to get a vaccine. And I think that's hit the bottom line. And yet there are certain, certain companies that are still doing okay. We've actually been in Teva Pharmaceuticals and uh, we've rode that up and that actually is consolidating over 10 if you put that up. Um, so I think you just got to pick and choose your places in that space. Uh, and this is one that we, we like a lot. I mean, if you look at that bottom chart there, which is that monthly chart, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just got to get up here a little bit higher. It looks like we're working there. And there's no reason why this can't go up to around 15. Do I think this is going to go back to 70 where it was in 2015? Well, I doubt it. But uh, we'd be happy writing. We got in at around 850. Getting up to around 15 would be almost a double. That's that's kind of how you have to play these sort of weaker stocks. Misha, I want to get your thoughts on XBI specifically in relation to KRE and what we saw back when we had the regional banking issues is that the XBI became linked with the KRE. I think the reasoning for that is a lot of, you know, smaller biotechs are very dependent on credit and we were worried about credit tightening when the banks were all having problems here. KRE is coming down substantially from the highs. We're now $49, ugly head and shoulders happening here now. We're not that far from, you know, July lows here when we were on 39. We're a little ways off from the lows that we were making back when we all thought all these banks were going out of business back in May and when there was 34. But are you concerned at all of the weakness, one, in the banks? And then obviously XBI just seems to be following suit. Yeah, well, somebody asked me recently in an interview, uh, it was uh, charting forward, what would be the two areas to avoid in the market? And I said, China, I mean, which is obviously not US, but China, the whole China space and the financials would be the other. And this is the reason why. I mean, this is a big shakeout right here and everything is shifting. That's why I said the optimistic side is it's evolving into something completely different. And at some point, these commercial real estate uh, areas will figure out another purpose for it. We don't know. I mean, obviously, there's a shortage still uh, of housing. And that's why we've had construction doing much better in terms of the new construction versus the existing home sales. We've seen that kind of spread. Um, yeah, but this is this. It's interesting. Will this ultimately impact the market again? I mean, if we have a major collapse like, you know, a 2008 collapse. But uh, this is where the Fed comes in and kind of tried to save the day in March. And I don't think they're going to let this, you know, the too big to fail. I, I still believe that, you know, and this is why I'm still in the inflation camp. I still think that the Fed is willing to put dollars to prevent this sort of crash from getting out of control. Misha, just one final thing for you. Many people are calling for the commodity super cycle of super cycles. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, woohoo, everyone's got own commodities. Uh, crude, I mean, you can't argue with the move in crude here. I'm looking at some of the other commodities. If I look at corn, well, I don't see no super cycle there. I look at wheat, uh, I don't see no super cycle there. I look at sugar. Uh, or that soybeans, beans have held up. I know there's some USDA, uh, USDA reports uh, coming up, but uh, is a commodity super cycle that will just give us rampant inflation and crush the economy on the horizon? What a great question. Um, well, let's, let's, okay, so historically, from 1974 to 1976, we had this peak in inflation in 74. That was after the whole um, six-day war and oil embargoes and everything went crazy with the oil prices, brought inflation skyrocketing and CPI up to around 14%. Let 
maybe it was like 11% at that point. Somewhere between 11 and 14, sorry, it's still very early in the morning. So I'm picturing the chart, but I can't see the number. And then we went all the way down in CPI at 76. We got into a recession, down back to around 2%. And then in 76, things started to spike up again, partly because of oil. And then it spiraled. We had a lot of social unrest in the country. I was started thinking about Spike Lee's film, Summer of 77. We had strikes at that point. We had, you know, protests on the Vietnam War. We had a change of administration. Our inflation president, Carter, came in. Uh, and so all of this really went from we're, we're done with inflation to a next super cycle. And I think that's why we're looking at the comparison because history rhymes, right? Doesn't necessarily always repeat to what's happening here. So we had the spike in 2021, you know, kind of peaking out in 2022. And here we are entering 2024. It's possible that we get another rise. And what would cause that? Well, there's so many reasons why we haven't seen them yet. So just looking at the charts like that, to me, the wage inflation, and like I said, the social unrest is maybe number one on my list. Obviously, oil and geopolitics would be number two and three. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's possible. But instead of trying to guess, look at some of these relationships. Gold outperforming SPY is one. Silver, all of a sudden, yesterday went green, which I thought was really interesting because it starts to outperform the gold. Keep your eye on those oil prices, obviously. And, uh, and that's really what you're going to have to look at right now is what kind of inflation cannot be controlled so readily. And it would be the kind of disruptive to society type of inflation. I'd say short of that, I've calmed down on my super cycle, but I still think it's very possible. Look at gold. I mean, it's just hold up like a rock. So that's kind of telling you that all is not necessarily well in the world. Mish Snyder, Chief Market Strategist at Market Gauge. I haven't Gone. We haven't done any floor stories in a while. I'm going to save that, save that for next time. But uh, okay. such, such a pleasure covering so many different things here and so many things that go into this market. You do a fantastic job of putting it together. We'll be dialing you up again real soon. Thanks, Mish. Thanks, Joel, Mitch. Hi, Dennis. Thank sorry. You. Oh, that's good. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Let's get back to the market. How are we looking, Joel? Uh, we made a... Uh, we're off the pre-market high of 43.9075. On days like this, it's very hard to find resistance, right? Because you you came down so hard. So if you waited to the close yesterday and you were fishing at the close, I don't know what the imbalances are. You did some nibbling. You know, the futures didn't knock you in the face overnight. You're like, you're parceling out, you know, in yeah, maybe no, sure. par yeah, no particular levels. So uh, I'll be looking through follow through to that pre-market high, 43.90.75. My main number for the day, and I have no technical levels there, it's just going to be 4,400. Like, can we get back above, like, feel a little bit better on the Friday? Monday's the holiday. Tuesday traditionally is the day that you're supposed to be buying after Yum Kipper. You got to sell, you know, you, you got to sell off here, but man, we there's a litany of other things to worry about or you know before you just go all in on the uh, seasonal pattern we want to bring in here some ratings and up upgrades and downgrades sure. that we have in the market let's get to wayfair bernstein upgrading wayfair to market perform raising the price target to 65 i've been talking about a potential short on this one i missed it a couple of days ago i'm hoping that it can get back to some levels and maybe i can get in it Dennis, I thought. I, 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 I'm sorry, yeah. I just had a spike here in oil, so I was just no worries. Okay, okay. I was like sold, 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 sold. I'm like, sold, holy. sold. Yeah, nah, I just so I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I just thought you were gonna come in with your. Uh, no, I, I, right when I was gonna make a point, then I was like, sold, 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 sold. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, what just happened? You know, so oil, oil just spiked up here again. It was already spiking, but it spiked more. It's an oil day, so let's go, go, and then I'll. I'll uh, come in here. I just. What what will happen? I mean, can you hold yesterday's high at sixty two forty? Um, if you do, then man, you got some real estate. I give you two more targets after that. Sixty three sixty two was your close. Actually, that was a double close. That was a triple close area. So if you look for another buck here, you get back up. People are getting their money back from the last three days. Uh, but this one could be a runner. I just uh, I just 
better hold yesterday's high coming out of the opening bell at 9.30. Canaccord Genuity downgrading deer to hold and lowering price target to 400. This has already been down there multiple times in the 400. I've been kind of avoiding it because I haven't seen the XLI as hot as I, I it was. Um, so I think this is still an avoid for me right now. What are you guys seeing? Um, analysts piling on here. I, I mean, I the lemmings, this. you get one downgrade, and they're like, oh, man, I didn't get my note out there. I didn't get my note out there, too. <laughs> so this is what they do. They just pile on, and they pile on, and that's what's happening here now. I mean, it's just to hold. It's not to sell. Is deer cyclical? Yes. Is deer reasonably valued? Yes, it's kind of just, you know, we're back at support. I'm not overly bearish deer at this point in time. When it was up at 440, you know, I was bearish. It's come back down quite a bit here. I'm not overly bullish here either. I'm just going to sit back and watch deer, I think. Uh, you are coming into an area of potential support. You look at all these multiple lows in this area. You haven't quite touched it in the pre-market. So I, I wouldn't be sure to get into that. The other thing, man, I hate these ratings. If you're going to downgrade something and you have a target of 400, could you do it when it's above 400? <laughs> right? Get them. Get them, Joe. Get them. Now, now do I put my order out at 400 or it already hit 400 and now I need to get out at 385.12? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's tough job, man. It's a tough job that these guys have. But, it uh, is. You know, we uh, when we beat on them, too, on this show, we obviously have our favorite analysts that we don't beat on as much, but we do beat on them on this show. And it is tough. Yeah, you got to make calls. Your it job is. is to make calls on the market, and people are going to love you or they're going to hate you, and there's no in-between. When you make a market call, and we do it on this show as well, you make a market call or you make a call on a stock, people love you or people hate you. There is absolutely no in between on that. None. There's, you know, like I mean, that's just I'm the... long the stock and you talk bearish on it. I hate Dennis Dick. If you're short the stock <laughs> or, or, or if you're, you know, short this one and I talk bullish on it, well, I'm gonna hate. You're gonna hate me too. But you know, if I'm if you're long the stock and I talk bullish on it, I love you. So I mean, that's just <laughs> what it is. So when you mix money and emotions, it's such an emotional concept. And that's why, you know, some people like, you know, some yeah. people don't like us. Some people like us one day, they don't like us the next day because maybe we're talking bearish on their stock. But I mean, it's just opinions. Nobody's got a crystal ball. And that's all these analysts are. It's opinions. So you take it with a grain of salt. The only thing is the analyst opinions move stocks. So I never am like looking, oh, I want to buy this in my long-term portfolio because this analyst said that. I'm like, oh, well, the analyst said upgrade it. We're in a normalized market here right now. It's normally worth 3%. It's only up 1.5%. So I buy it for that reason, trying to extract the one and a half percent because I don't think the market's valued their opinion enough. That's the only reason I follow analysts is because they're, move they're, they're worse. Yeah. Their opinions are physically worth something in the market. All right. I did want to give us a little extra value today. I'll be quick about it though. I just, I did some little research for you guys on a trade idea that I've been thinking about and I've been waiting to have action on this. This is going to be on SoFi. Uh, mm -hmm. Why? Well, just take a look at this Google trend data that I found here, and this is for student refinance. So, of course, student loans are going to be coming back. What will people be thinking about? Maybe refinancing that student loan. Well, look at the this is the past 12 months. Of course, no one's been thinking about this because forbearance had been on. But look at the recent increase and look how it's at all time high right now in the last 12 months. You're seeing student loan refinance. And of course, what's one of those providers that they'll be looking at? Probably looking at SoFi. So um, I'm just mentioning this as a potential trade that could be happening in the next couple of weeks. And always like to bring you guys a little extra value here on pre-market prep. So smash the like button for that. And what do you guys think a little bit about this before we wrap it up? I'll just say you're at major support on yeah, SoFi, I was gonna say, which is say, good yep. news. It's major support. It's got to hold that support. At below 771, I'd be stopping out of this thing. So if you are going into it for a trade and you're in a really tough environment for going in for looking at longs, maybe, but maybe we're at, maybe we've come down enough that you know maybe there is an opportunity here. I mean, this thing was 12 bucks or 1170. Now it's eight. So there's an opportunity there. But I would say if you're putting on any trades at support, support is support until it's broken. So don't get stuck and, you know, and all of a sudden it's down at 750. You're like, well, you know, um, it's going to come back. And then it's seven and six and then you get stuck. So don't let, if you want to put on for a trade, I'm with you, Mitch. Don't let the trade become an investment here. I would say that. So seven, the, your support and your stop out setting up this trade for you. 
below mm-hmm. 771, I want no part of it. You know, it's 765. I give yourself a little bit of room, but I'd say say below 750. Below 750, I'd absolutely stop out of this. But you know, maybe you get a pop, maybe the market turns, maybe you get a little relief rally. But it's a tough market environment right now. Came down to support. I'll agree with you guys on that. I it's as far as like the refining at current rates. Uh, I, I don't know about that. They might just be like, ah, you know, default bankruptcy. But yeah, technical setup for SoFi building our support at the $8 area. I'll, I'll go with you on that one, Mitch. All right, last levels on the ES. Joe, what are you seeing? What will you be focusing on? And then we'll get just a, a quick comment from Dennis Dick. I don't know if it'll just, be that quick, but <laughs> we just gotta we just gotta get followed through through the pre-market high, mosey our way into the 4400 handle and get back some of these losses uh for the week. I just just potential tape bombs. I know someone was speaking at 850. There's some other Fed speakers going on. There's like a 10 o'clock number, so I think it's kind of, you know, it's going to be a quiet day. If, in fact, they come in selling this off the open and, uh, you know, you take off the pre-market low, then we got some we got some room on the downside. So that's it for me. I think, Dennis, um, last comment. I'm hoping for more of a rally to sell more stocks. So, again, we haven't had any bit of a rally. So it's been a difficult market to be selling the rip in because there hasn't been any rip to be had. But, you know, we're, we're straight down. 200 S&P points in six days. Let's give a perspective here. We have now moved to a little bit oversold on the S&P. So I don't think it's going to be like straight down to 420 from here. I think the bulls are due for a day in here. I do think that day is going to find overhead supply. So I'm hoping, you know, we get a rally. Maybe we could even get back up to where we were, you know, over the course of the next couple of days, like 435, 436 on the SPY. I'd be lightening up stocks into that rally, though. Sorry, I'm looking I'm for there. rips All to right. sell, not that's dips good. to buy. That's how I'll that, sum it up. That's going to do it for us today on Pre-Market Prep. Like always, guys, smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. You guys keep up with my man, Triple D. Of course, you guys know him on Twitter. Give him a nice little follow. Now I'll give you guys the wrap up here and check out the Future of Digital Assets event that's going to be coming to you guys. New York City, November 14th. I'll tell you right right now, guys, I'm even looking about getting out there to New York. So if you guys want to go ahead and check this out, have a, uh, what I like to say, a good excuse to make it out to New York. Go ahead and check it out, guys. Check out the digital assets events. I'll give you guys a quick trailer and then get you guys over to live trading. That's coming up next. Let's see if I can come after SoFi. You guys heard me talk about it. Now, if you guys want to watch me, maybe do it live right in front of you guys to stick around right here. You don't got to go anywhere.